What's up, Drop Pod listeners? You can find all of our content on YouTube at The Drop Golf Podcast. You can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Pods. And you can follow along on our social media, Instagram and Twitter, at the drop underscore pod. No matter how you consume us, make sure you like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Follow and listen along. This episode is sponsored by the Law Office of Mallon and Tranger. Tom Mallon and Randy Tranger are board-certified trial attorneys who share more than 40 years of legal experience. They specialize in personal injury matters, workers' compensation cases, and criminal and municipal defense. As certified trial attorneys, they have recovered millions of dollars on behalf of people injured in accidents and employees injured at work. They have offices conveniently located in Freehold and Point Pleasant. For skilled and personalized legal representation, call Mallon and Tranger at 732-780-0230 or check out their website at tmallonlaw.com. Not only are they good people, they're good golfers too. This All right, everyone. Is, uh, what about the... I got to start the... Uh, This is the Drop Podcast where we talk golfing in the Garden State. I'm Mike Poro and this is Ryan Coulot. What is up everyone? Mike and I had a great opportunity we want to talk to you about, but before we get to that, we have a very special guest on this show, Mr. Bob Housen, New Jersey living golf legend. He's a six-time NJSGA state amateur champion, two-time NJSGA senior open champion. His accolades don't do him justice. He's just a living golf legend in the state of New Jersey. We got to spend some time with him uh, via Zoom. He's down in Florida. You know, he's, he's well retired by now, but we talk everything about growing up from his youth, Lakewood High School, to kind of what he's doing now and how his how his golf journey has kind of come full circle now and how he plays with his grandkids at at 84 years young what he's doing with with golf today really an awesome opportunity to just talk to a grandfather you know and hear some golf stories and hear what he has to say so I hope you're going to stick around for that but before we get to that Mike and I had an awesome opportunity to go up to Hoboken to a golf simulator that's opening up soon, February 4th, they're going to open, called Hudson Golf, right on Hudson Ave in Hoboken. An unbelievable spot. Those of you that know the area, it's a little like a block closer to the city from Texas, Arizona, right on the main on the main strip there, right across from the path station. So a, a great location that we're going to get into, uh, get into that. But I want to get into something first. Leading into that, Mike and I were heading up there, and we were looking at different things and kind of where people are listening. And we have a a pretty good contingency in North Jersey, particularly the Jersey City, Hoboken area. Um, When you look at our overall numbers, 97% of our listeners are listening from the United States, which makes sense. New Jersey's in the United States. Of those numbers, we're able to break down what states people are listening from, which is really cool too. But the thing that intrigued me more as Mike and I were talking about this, 3% of our listening audience is coming from outside of the United States. And I only know one person living outside of the United States. Mike doesn't know any. So I I legitimately want to know. If you're listening to this and you're outside of the United States, send us a DM. How did we get on your radar? What, what brought us to you? 
and and I'd like to hear a little bit about that. That's that's wild to me, because it's it's wild to me, Mike, that we've had this going for such a short time, and even people outside of New Jersey are listening to it. And and no, it's not it's not thousands and thousands of people, but it is more than just like a friend of mine that lives in California, my brother's in California, friend in Ohio. Like it's more than just our people that know us. So so I'm even gonna go one step further. If you're listening outside of New Jersey, send us a DM. Tell us how we how we got to you. How did that how did that all happen? I'm I'm super curious because quite frankly, I was telling Mike like these got to be bots. Like I can't believe that these are real people because Mike and I just started this. Again, we've talked about just being two schmoes that are just into golf, and it's kind of crazy to me that that people are listening to what we have to say outside of of where we are. Again, if you're outside New Jersey, send us a DM. Let's let's get the story. I'm, I'm I legitimately am super interested in that. Yeah, and I think I think to piggyback that, I think it'd be a great thing to discuss on the podcast about how, you know, Chris in North Carolina has heard from us or how John in California, like all these different states, you see them on there. Like, let, let's let's share their stories a little bit, because, you know, like you said, obviously, the bulk of the people are from New Jersey, which is understood because that's the theme here, golfing in the Garden State. But when you start stepping outside the boundaries, it, it becomes an interesting story. And listen, we want to share it. We want to tell it. So listen, like always, the DMs are open. If, if you're part of that 2% that's listening out in Australia, you know, shoot us a DM on Instagram at the drop underscore pod. And again, if you know, you're outside New Jersey, let's hear from you. Yeah, Mike, we've now talked about it for several days straight now, and it just blows my mind. It really does. So let's, let's real quick, Rye, before you get yeah. into Hudson Golf, because I, I, I know that's gonna be a, a good portion of what we talk about today. I got a I got a text message um following last week's episode, you know, which is nice because again, I, that means people are listening. So if someone shoots me a text about our conversation regarding the ball in a divot, you know, okay. we both were adamant about yep. the ball needs to be moved. And here's mm-hmm. a funny thing I that I got. I text about this as well. <laughs> so the text I received was this. At the Bears Club in Jupiter, where it's Jack's club, the text reads specifically, I want to make sure I get this accurate so that I don't mis- misstate it, that at the Bears Club in Jupiter, they have a local rule that you can take the ball out of a divot. Jack Nicholas believes that you should be able to take the ball out of a divot in your own fairway. Now, some people might say Jack Nicholas is the greatest golfer of all time. So I think we have a good person in our corner in that role that needs to be changed. That is big time. Th- but yeah, big time. Big time. I mean, to, to quote to quote the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall, I just went from six to midnight. That is <laughs> I mean listen, that if that's is, not if that's not uh, game, set, match, you right. tell me what is. hundred percent. That is that's unfuckable. And I didn't want that's, to tell you I didn't want to tell that, you that. I was so I've been did, sitting you, on you that. You sandbagging son of a bitch. How dare you do that to me? I, How long have you been sitting on, on that? I've been sitting on that since <laughs> Wednesday at like one o'clock. 
And I said, oh, you know my what? God. I am not going to tell him because I want the authentic <laughs> response on the podcast so people can truly hear his response. That's incredible. I was I was dumbfounded when you were saying it. Uh, I didn't even know what to say right away. That is That's unreal. That's so cool that we know like obviously these guys have opinions on those things, but to know that opinion like I'm sure Tiger has an opinion on it. I'm sure JT and Jordan Speed, like I'm sure all these guys, they live and breathe golf. I'm sure that anything that we talk about, like they've forgotten more golf than we're ever going to learn in our lifetime. So they have opinions on it. That's so fucking cool to know that Jack Nicholas shares the same opinion. That's so wild. Oh my God. I, I can't believe you held out on me. I'm so glad you did though. <laughs> yeah, I could I I couldn't I I was going to tell you and then I said, "You know what? I think it'd be so much better to save this and back pocket it." Um I'm so because glad. I felt like no matter what, like that trumps all other things that could have come up. Yeah. Like it's over. In my eyes, the conversation's yeah. over. Jack agrees. Uh-huh. Change the rule. So a lot of uh, this isn't where we wanted to start, but a lot of the text that I got so we have very different golfing groups that we connect with and and we've talked about this a little bit you're very connected with the golfers who are competitive very good the professionals in the golfing world quote-unquote professionals not the actual pga tour pros but like the teaching pros the club pros and them you're you're connected with people of that ilk whereas i feel like my connection is more with the everyday golfer the the guy that's more of the hacker none of this i don't think is offensive i think it just is what it is like i'm you're a good golfer a good handicap someone who plays competitively i enjoy playing i'm not a great handicap i'd like to be better but don't we all but i knock it around a little bit so my texts that i got were from my contingency (laughs) The, the guys the guys who are who are following golf rules loosely about like uh why why is that even a thing like it should be for tournament play that's the rule it's play it down but everybody else is just rolling it over and i go i i understand that but i'm saying that even the tournament golfer should should be able to roll it over and not only that you're supposed to be following the rules just because you don't like this one doesn't mean that you don't follow it. The same thing, like, just because I think the drinking age should be 18, it's still 21. You're still doing something illegal when you weren't, when you were drinking underage. So, I mean, like, just because you don't like the rule and don't follow it doesn't mean you're not supposed to, was my argument. And I don't care if I go out with my, my foursome that I go out with. I have no problem with any of us rolling it over in the fairway. That's not like a thing for me. I'm not saying like, even if we're playing for money. Yeah, that's what I believe. But technically, you're not supposed to. So it was just kind of funny that like the the people who I talk to are like, that's not a thing because we do that anyway. And I was like, I get that you do that, but you're not supposed to. That's the thing. It's it's something we disagree with. So it was just... It, it was kind of funny. You had a much better interaction with it than, than mine was, but it was just like, it, it's just kind of funny coming from two different, two different worlds there. 
but fuck, that's cool. <laughs> that's so awesome. There are certain things I have to back pocket and then I yeah. find the right time to, to make your day, you know? I am so happy right now. That's, that's really cool. I'm glad you saved that because that is really good. All right, so let, let's move on to our day at Hudson Golf there. We, we, I think I started opening up with they got a great location. It's a, it's a beautiful spot. I like the setup. I thought it was really cool. They got like a little outdoor that they want to do something with, kind of like a patio. Not real big, but during the summertime, you could definitely see grabbing drinks and then going downstairs while you wait for your tea time or your quote-unquote tea time. Um, you walk up this like grand staircase. It's got all this exposed brick. You know, the chandelier at the top of the staircase is awesome. They just have such a, like, there's just so many little intricacy things that are just really, it's it's really going to be amazing there. They got five bays that they have there. One of them's a teaching bay. And the thing that I took away from this, Mike, the, like, the biggest thing that, for me, was... They're trying to do not just an indoor golf simulator, but they're trying to do a bar as well. Like, this isn't an indoor golf simulator that has a liquor license. They're, they're a bar. Like, they want people to come there for drinks. That's, that's what they expect. People to, to be, hey, it's a Friday night. Let's go to Hudson Golf. We're not playing golf. They got good cocktails. They got good food. They got a world-class chef that's going to be cooking food. It's not just going to be, you know, fryer, you know, your mozzarella sticks, nachos, that kind of thing. They got, they got a real menu there. So they expect to be a, a working full bar slash restaurant that also has golf simulators while also being a golf simulator that has world-class food and drink. It's really a, a unique concept, and I think they've – I think they – Got it right so far. They got the location. They got. They seemingly have all the things that are needed. They have the setup. They have should have the built-in clientele with being at the. I guess it's the south side of Hoboken that that you can kind of come to. It's by the path, and I, I just uh, again I think that the foot traffic, the people who are itching to be in the city that doesn't have a golf course nearby. I, I just I think that they've struck gold there, and it's going to be a. It's going to be a really profitable endeavor for them, both you know, both money wise, but also like I, I, they got a they got a blueprint for something that's really great. So yeah, Mike, I, I can't I can't say enough good things about this place and what they got going on. And but why don't you share a little bit about how we got connected to Hudson Golf and how that kind of how that kind of started. Yeah. I mean, listen, just like everything I, you know, and I know we say it all the time, but like DMS are constantly flying in. And, and when this was, you know, when we started more or less and their project was beginning, you know, you know, I kept, you know, commenting on how amazing it's, it was going as it was progressing. Um, and, and as it got closer, you know, Daniel had, had DM me and said, Hey, listen, when we get up and running we'd love to have you and ryan come up and check this place out you know give us your opinion just just come come see it and frankly i'd never been to hoboken personally in my life i've never been up that area no clue where i was going you know but i had obviously texted a lot of buddies and said you know what's this like and they're like dude that spot's gonna be sick 
Um, clearly, the views that they had been putting out on Hudson Golf on their Instagram was amazing. You know, so we kept going back and forth about finding the best time and date to go up there, you know, because they were waiting on a few other inspections to get clearance and whatnot. So we finally got to go up there on Friday. And, you know, first off, meeting, you know, Daniel firsthand, he's, he's a quality fucking person. I mean, there's no two ways around. He's, he's just authentic. No doubt about that. Yeah, he's, he's authentic. He's real. He gets it. He's personable. You know, like, you couldn't find a better director of golf for a spot than, that, than him. You know, he clearly is motivated to do the best job he can. You know, and then on the back end of that, you got two owners that are all in on it. You know, you got, you got Hunter and you got Aaron that are like all about making that experience, not just a golf one, but an overall just quality, quality spot and experience because it's not just geared towards the golfer. Just because you're a golfer and you like to play, it's not just, you know, a, a one-way street as we talked about that day for them. You can go there, you can have a few drinks, you can have a quality meal. Again, it's not the mozzarella sticks. It's 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 good food. Um, and then again, like when they are able to open those windows and you look outside and you see the city in a distance, I mean, let's like, it's as pure as pure comes. And I I think they hit the, the jackpot in terms of, again, having A, a liquor license, which is only one of two indoor simulators in the state that has it, and then B, the first indoor simulators bar restaurant in Hudson County. I mean, those are two slam dunks when you think about people in the city that are looking to play golf. There's nowhere to go. And like they mentioned, if they try to get on Skyway, it's it's now at the time of the year it's closed. And then, you know, you're trying to get a tea time and it's jam-packed. And if you don't have that, you know, unbelievable membership to those private courses in the area, then you got you got nothing. You're like they said, you're taking the train into the city to go play at Five Iron Golf. And now you have a spot, an opportunity to be entertained that also works in the social aspect of things as well as the golfing aspect of things. It's a perfect, it's a perfect spot. You know, and I think that just goes to prove like when we say it, you and I like, hey, listen, DM us and you know, we'd love to come up, check it out. Like, there's the perfect example. Like Daniel and I had going back and forth. I've never met Daniel in person. I never met Hunter or Aaron. I didn't know their backstory. But just like a lot of things, like when we get there and we're able to now put a name with a face and a voice, like I think those are the types of things and the relationships that are able to be formed that people look back and say, okay, wow, these guys aren't just two guys schmoozing, trying to get a spot. Like, no, like we're here to promote, to talk, to experience all things golf in the Garden State. And I think that is just another example of what this amazing spot and state really has to offer. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I have only positive things to say. I can't say enough good things about it. And I don't think you could either. You know what I also found interesting, Mike? Was there the connection that Daniel, the the director of golf, and Hunter and Aaron had? They were looking for the... Like, that, that, that marriage there is is perfect. They were both looking for the exact same things. And you could tell right away that they're their passion and their 
idea for this place is perfectly aligned. It, it was, and and they said it too. They said that that Daniel basically read their pitch back to them without without even seeing it, which which leads me to the good things are happening there. Yeah, there's no doubt that, that you know I think the saying of a match made in heaven, that's it. You know they got they yeah. got they got it they got everything. They got the location. They got the director of golf. They got very smart, young, savvy owners. And then you throw in the, the bar and the restaurant. No doubt. It, to me, that's like icing on the cake. Yeah, so guys, go. If you're in that area, the, the New York City, Jersey City, Hoboken area, and even if you're not and you want a really awesome time, go check them out. They're opening up February 4th. It's going to be a great time. Check them out on Instagram, at Hudson Golf. We're fully on board. They, they, they got something really special going on. And, and Rod, just to kind of reiterate the wrap-up of Hudson Golf and just to kind of further prove my point about them being, you know, savvy, young, quality people in terms of who's there and who's operating that place is they've been kind enough to give us a little giveaway here. So you'll see tomorrow, um, Thursday, it'll be a 48-hour making sure you guys see this respond because again this is a great opportunity for you to go to experience it more or less on them so it'll it'll come out thursday again you'll have 48 hours the names will go in the wheel and, and then again hopefully your name is chosen if it is you know they're cur- they're being kind enough to even send the person the gift card rather than it coming directly from me so it's it's, it's even great in terms of collaborating with people that you know are like-minded like us that are trying to get people you know in and check out their, you know, their stuff more or less. So that Instagram post will be posted awesome. tomorrow. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Dr. Mike Pamakala at Sports Solutions Physical Therapy and Performance Development is located in Middletown, New Jersey. A Titleist Performance Institute medical practitioner, Dr. Mike uses a hands-on approach with his clients to get them out of pain and back onto the golf course. No pain, no problem. Assessments available for golfers looking to improve flexibility, power, strength, stability, and overall efficiency with their golf swing. Don't let dysfunction disrupt your swing. Schedule an evaluation with a TPI physical therapist and check out Dr. Mike at sportsolutionspt.com and on Instagram at sportsolutionspt. Mike, I, I kind of want to change gears. I know our thing is is golfing in New Jersey, but I thought this would be kind of appropriate. The PGA Tour stop this week is at Torrey Pines for the for the farmers. I have a brother that lives in California, so last year I went to go visit him, and and I went to play Torrey. So I thought it might be appropriate to take a couple minutes and just tell you about a little bit about my experience there. Torrey's unbelievable. I don't know how else to say it. It is just stunningly beautiful. It, you can tell it's it's public. It doesn't have that, like, you know how you go to Pinehurst and it kind of has that country club feel to it, even though it's a public track? To me, Tory didn't have that. It, it definitely felt like a public, it felt more yeah. like Bethpage and, it, and its publicness than country clubness. So I spent the whole day there. I had like a I had like a nine thirty tea time. Came up from San Diego. It's, it's about twenty minutes north. Did the whole putting green and all that kind of stuff. Played my round. 
and then did an early dinner there with, with my brother and his girlfriend overlooking the, you know, while the sun's kind of, you know, we stayed long enough to watch a little bit of the sunset there. And it was, it was magical. Uh, it's the only way to put it. it. It is a wonderful, wonderful place. If anybody's ever out on the West Coast, anywhere near Torrey Pines, it's a must go. I know it's a little a little expensive. I think it was like two fifty to play, and it was probably like I think it was like fifty bucks, seventy bucks to like reserve the tea time or something like that. They they get you, they get you for a big knock, but man, it is it is well worth it. <laughs> so uh, I've taken a whole bunch of pictures. The putting green is is enormous. So I'm, I'm just kind of enjoying myself. I'm there. You know, it's a random. I think it was there on like a Tuesday or something. It's just, it's just open. You know, it's just me. I'm not tied down to anything. So they call my tea time. I head to the first tea, and I get paired up with three ladies. These ladies were very nice, but as everybody is listening to this, that's a male that's ever played golf gets paired up with women. It's... It can be challenging, and I want to be as politically correct there as possible. I didn't have that experience, though. These women were, were awesome. They were like, they, I almost felt like they were my own little cheering gallery because they could get it around the golf course. They probably shot in the low hundreds. It was as, as enjoyable around as it could be. They were three wonderful ladies. And, and I felt like I had my own cheering squad because I, I played pretty decently. I shot 83. 83? Time yeah. out. Time out. Full time out. Mm-hmm. Sit down for a second. Okay. 83. Yep. No mulligans. Nope. You played the very first tee shot of the day. You need yep. to call those three ladies up and have them just follow you around as a gallery moving forward. Because if Dr. Mike says he's getting you to a scratch <laughs> handicap before the fall, you better get those ladies back because you need that. If you're going 83 at Torrey Pines, if you shoot above 85 now, at, at Charleston, I'm, I don't know what to tell you. So I didn't play, it, I didn't play I the championship care. teams. I, don't I didn't care. play the backs. You, you're playing with three <laughs> unknown people at Torrey Pines, which makes it even more anxiety-ridden because it's the unknown of the course and the people. And you shot 83. Right. You better email, text, yeah. DM, whatever it is. Find those three <laughs> ladies' names out and bring them to Jersey. So what's what's funny about that, Mike, is I, I played I, – I shot 83 – from the green tees, which is basically like they have the black tees, but they're only open during like the U.S. Open and the and the Farmers, or you can get permission. So like they're like the professional tees. I think they top out at like seventy nine hundred. Then they have brown tees, which is like their back tee because nobody can usually play the black tees. That's like seven thousand, and then so I played the green, which was which was like, and I've pulled up the scorecard now, which was is sixty six, and I ended the day. The eighteenth hole has water in front of the green, which by this point in the day, 
I wasn't thinking about. So it's an 83 with dunking my approach in the water on 18. It, uh, I, I did play well that day. But again, it was super casual. I didn't I, I never felt pressure. I never felt like I, I had it was a really casual round. It was really fun. You know, some drinks with the ladies and just moving around the course was super easy. It was a awesome experience. And if anyone's in that area, it's a must go to. Don't let the price of it deter you from it. It was really cool to be there. They do a really good job with like on the first tee, they got like a like a quote unquote Hall of Fame kind of thing on the like behind the tee box there of like they got like a plaque for Tiger, a plaque for Jack. They got some of the historic things that have happened there. They got some really cool some really cool pieces. And then the view, you can't beat it. You just can't. Um, you're on the cliffs in Southern California, looking over at at the water. I mean, some of the holes you tee off and and the cliff is the end of the tee box there. It was just beautiful. Just beautiful. I, you know, I spent a whole bunch of money there in the pro shop getting different things for different people. But it was it was great. And then to, to have dinner, watch the sunset by that time now. And it was, it was a great day. Really a wonderful day. And I just thought, Mike, it'd be appropriate just to kind of mention a couple things that it, you know, about it that with, them, with the tour going there this week, I thought it was pretty pretty appropriate to give Tory Pines a little plug there. All right, everyone. So that's going to be it for Mike and I today. Hudson Golf, must check out. Uh, give the farmers a watch. Tory Pines has some beautiful views. But right now we're going to send it to our interview with Mr. Housen. Uh, again, Mr. Housen is an absolute legend of New Jersey golf and a certain must listen. He's got a whole bunch of good stories. He's got a fun one of him when he played with Gary Player. Just one of the times he played with Gary Player. So, again, a must listen. Here's that interview. All right, so I'll get started here. So, you know, I, I think, you know, for our audience here, we, we've been fortunate to have some of the, you know, up and coming guys like Chris Goddard up on the show. We've had some unbelievable amateurs, some some very good local head pros, as well as some directors of instruction. But I but today we got the living legend, I think the man, the myth himself when it comes to New Jersey golf, Mr. Bob Housen. I, I'm sure I could go on a long, long list of accolades, but I want to name a few here. You know, Mr. Housen is a six-time New Jersey State Golf Association state amateur champion. He's a seven-time New Jersey State Golf Association pre-seniors champion. He was also inducted to the NJSGA Hall of Fame in 2018, where he was also named their play. The Player of the Year Award is now named after Mr. Housen. Uh, Mr. Housen, I, I thank you for coming on our show and, and giving us some time here. Well, I'm very pleased to be here and thank you very much. And um, now that I'm retired, I got all the time in the world. So <laughs> what, 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 what do you want? Uh, so, listen, a variety of things we can go through, I'm sure. Yeah, listen, I, I when I pitched the idea to Chris, I said, like, you know, I want to explain kind of what Ryan and I are here doing and is is really trying to bring another you know, sense of awareness to golfing in the Garden State, because I think not only the golf courses that you hear about 
Um, but also the players itself. I, I think the way media works now is, you know, sometimes you hear people write about it and, and some people will tweet or post about it, but there's not a spot or an outlet where people can actually sit down and talk and, and hear stories from so many unbelievable people. And, you know, when I, when I kept tossing ideas around, I said, well, God, who, who better to have on than you? Um, because I think when, you know, people hear your name and they hear New Jersey State Golf Association, you know, it just, it's, it's an unbelievable story, um, you know, from, from your accolades to your successes to everything. Um, so I guess let's start kind of like with your journey. You know, I, I understand that, you know, you were inducted to Lakewood High School's Hall of Fame where you played basketball, golf, and baseball. And then obviously, you know, to Manasquan River, to the NJSGA, to your successes in the USGA events. Why don't you give the audience a little background about you? Well, I will, but I don't like to talk about myself very much, quite honestly. Uh, but I can tell you a little bit about the golf in 50s, where, um, where I started to play, um, and a couple changing points in my life. Uh, at that point in time, I was, I was, um, uh, mate went out on the uh, uh, the high school golf team as a freshman was a 90 shooter and soon as I was out with those guys I could see right away what a great game this was although I caddied for my father a lot I didn't realize it as much until I started to play so I practiced very I practiced a lot in a sand pit with a wooden shafted club and everything else and by the time I became a sophomore I was a mid-70s shooter so uh, it took it took a lot. It wasn't it wasn't a natural thing that all of a sudden you're a good player. They say, "Oh, you're a natural." No, it requires a lot of work. And um, I got I was very fortunate. I was uh, I got to meet people like Lou Barbero, who was a phenomenal golf pro uh, out of Hollywood. My father was a great player, and I learned to play golf by watching them play. Uh, we didn't have lessons. The only lesson I ever got when I started, somebody said, keep your left arm straight. That was it. And, <laughs> and, you know, you know, I mean, that's probably all I could have handled anyway, but, but, but that's, uh, that's how it was. And then, uh, so I really, really in, in, enjoyed the game of golf. And uh, my father took me aside and he said, you know, you like to play baseball, but by the time you're 45, 25 years old, you won't be able to play baseball anymore. And if you like to compete, you better start playing golf. So uh, I did. And um, in my sophomore year of high school, uh, Coach Wright was our coach, and he was a phenomenal uh, uh, coach. He was a football coach and, and a golf coach, a very good player, very competitive. And I was playing second man on the uh, team at that time. And I got up on the first hole and I topped the tee shot and it hit a stump down there at Lakewood and everything. And I'm hollering and mad and everything. And he tells me, he said, Bobby, if you're playing two sports, you can't expect to do any better than that. So he was right. I, I turned in my uniform the next day in baseball and the baseball coach got excited. It was so, and I practiced and practiced very hard over the next two weeks and we played the state um, championship, uh, at Colonial and Lakewood. And we won, uh, we won by a, a stroke. We had, um, uh, on the team was Eddie Levy, myself, uh, uh Pete Scope and uh, Carl Klein. And, um, we, uh, I, I shot 70, 
seven, I think. Pete was 79, something like that. But anyway, we, we played pretty pretty well. And and in the newspapers the next day, the Klein didn't play so well. He made a 20-foot on the last hole for a 90. And then the newspaper had his picture on there, said Klein's 90 wins state amateur. <laughs> we were all over him because he was kind of a little arrogant guy. <laughs> and we were on his case. Now, the next year, uh, the tournament was at um, Manasquan River. And the team was my, uh, I was on it uh, along with um, Al Krushowitz and um, Carl Klein again. And uh, the last one was Dawson. Uh, I forget his first name, but it's a rainy day. It's, we're having a Northeast storm. And I go through the first nine holes and I shoot um, 41. The um, guy comes up to me on the tee and he said, are you the Lakewood's number one man? He said, we're from Montclair. Are you Lakewood's number one man? I said, yes. He said, what do you shoot? What'd you shoot? I said, I shot 41. He goes, well, we're from Montclair. We're going to beat you guys this year. I said, why don't you talk to me when we get in? We'll see how that works out. <laughs> that was Robert Trent Jones Jr., the golf course architect. Wow. And that's what it was. Oh. <laughs> so we, I, on the last hole, I knock it out of bounds, but I still shoot a 38. I knock it out of bounds by a foot and I was living, but I shot 79 and I came in. And there are no other scores in the in the seventies. Carl Klein comes in, he shoots seventy nine. Krushewitz came in, he shot like 82, 83. and the last guy shot like eighty five. I thought you were going to say ninety again. No, no, that guy. <laughs> you know, Carl was good. He had seventy seven. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we came, we won the state by like twenty three strokes. Now you know Manasquan River when you play it in the Northeast Storm. You really, that's that wind comes off that ocean and river and it's, uh, it's exciting. So that, that was high school golf. It was really a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And I got to play with Jerry Barnett, my friend from Manasquan. And uh, as a matter of fact, in my senior year, I only, I think I lost three matches through my whole time, but my senior year, I lost one match and that was to Jerry and Jerry lost one match and that was to me. And he beat he beat me at Lakewood, and I beat him in Manasquan. <laughs> he is he was when he was in his teens, of uh, fourteen, fifteen to seventeen. There was nobody around could could touch him. I used to caddy at Manasquan like you, and he was a member there. But he was he was a phenomenal player. And when he was getting ready to decide whether he wanted to, and he told me this. When he wanted to go uh, to college uh, or uh, play uh, professional golf, and his father asked him, what did he want to do? Well, Jerry was a pretty smart guy, and he said, I think I'm going to go to college. And he went to, um, I believe he went to Petty for a year or so, and then went on to Duke and became a very successful businessman. Uh, very, very strong competitor and we had some real fights down the roads but we always had a tremendous amount of respect for him and then mr house so like what obviously for as long as i can recall i'm 39 and i've been caddying at manuscon for yeah, 25 kidding me. 
39. You can't be 39. 39, I'll be 40. I remember you. Listen, I remember remember starting caddying. I was 13 years old at Manasquan River. So I've been there for 25 years. Just, you know, obviously maybe even a little longer with my grandfather and whatnot. But like in terms of my memory of that place, like what kind of led you specifically to that place? Well, I caddied there. I started caddying there in the 50s, early 50s. I would uh, come up uh, with Pop Pelkey, who was the caddy master. He would drive he and his sons uh, and me up to the golf course, and then we would hitchhike. Uh, I would hitchhike home. But the golf course is just so magnificent. At that time, we had the Ospreys all over the course, you know, on five and six and seven. And I mean, it was just, just incredible. And um, so I caddied there. And then when I had the opportunity to join the golf course and you know, when I was about 40, uh, I, I took that uh, opportunity and I, it's always been my favorite place. I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's a mystique about Manasquan is just unbelievable. And I always uh, love the membership and it just, in the course is just, it, so many good golfers came out of Manasquan and I started to figure out why we never had a range, never had a range, but what we did have, we had terrain, we had wind, uh, we had everything you you had to learn to play every kind of golf shot there was in order to play Manasquan River. Uh, it wasn't like some of the courses where everything is flat I mean, and you never got the same shot over again. It was always a different shot. And um, I think that made the wall boys better. Uh, I know it made Christopher better. I'm sure it made me better. And uh, it just brought out another... There was not a golf course I could go to that could place a shot to me that I hadn't seen before at Manasquan. And, and you know that, that's probably, uh, you could probably affirm that. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike speaks very highly of that, of, of that place there. Have uh, you played I, there? So the only, <laughs> the only time I've played is for your event. And I, I only seem to get uh, the waterside holes. I, the farthest Back I've been is uh, is eleven, so I've I've played like eleven through one. It is is kind of every time that we've that we've come, I just seem to happen to get get put on the on the water side. Well, again, I'm not. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but Mike speaks so highly of it. I, I, we had Chris on a couple of weeks ago, and Chris spoke so highly of it. it. It's funny that you talk about like having so many different shots because some courses, like some people that play golf they like to go to a course and they enjoy the ease of it where they can just go out and have a nice casual round but then as as you said that that handicap's not going to travel to a place whereas a place like Manasquan it's it's going to force you to be better and then your your game is going to travel with you and when you add that with being competitive as it sounds you were as a as a youngster that's going to lead to the long list of accolades that you have there so Ryan and I were going back because I, I talk obviously so highly of Manasquan River and my experiences there as a caddy, as a player, and just kind of as a person when, I, when I'm at the golf course itself. And, and the running joke all the time is like, I always say like, I'm not being biased, but, and I always have something positive to say about Manasquan River. And I think what Ryan's learning is that 
there is an aura about that place that is just unique to other spots. And it, it, it again, I think it probably started way back when, when Wayne Worms was, was the head professional. And I think everything from there has kind of trickled down and everybody that has kind of run the show since then has put their own little stamp to make it even better. Um, can you attest to that? Yes, I would actually go back as far as Johnny Cafone because okay. Johnny Cafone used to make golf clubs with Jack Beckett. When I was in high school, I worked in the shop with him and worked on some of the clubs too. And I, I had no talent at all, uh, but uh, it goes back all the way there. And then he trained Wayne. And from that point on, everything has just been phenomenal. We're, our golf pros are, are as good as you get. So yeah. each yeah. one has his own style. And um, and we we really like them. We don't change golf pros very often, and no. we're very fortunate and, with that, those. And pros. I think that's exactly it. That's the testament to to being there. You know that why would you leave a place that's so good? And uh, you know, isn't it doesn't Baltusrol? Aren't they only on like their sixth professional or something like that in their history? So like, there's certain reasons why like if someone's at a place, if it's great to you. And why would you leave it? So that that's certainly a, a huge stamp of approval for for that reason. Yeah. yeah. They're all very professional, very professional yeah. people. What subject would you like to talk about? So, so I want to dive into the NJSGA events mm -hmm. and, and your history there. But before I get to that point, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up because I know my dad listens all the time to these things and he's very quick to, you know, give his two cents to me about things. But <laughs> do you know, do you know that you were, and I'm sure you do that you were a six time club champion at Manasquan river. And do you know the one, the, the, the last year you played in one was 1987. Yeah, seven times. Seven, oh, seven times. I stand corrected yeah. then. And then do you know who won it the year after that you stopped playing? Your dad did. He did. Yeah. So won, won, it on the, won it on the 15th hole. And I have to tell him that, Dad, that gets an asterisk because Mr. Housen did not participate in that one. <laughs> so I always, and I have to make sure I say that out on this podcast because no, when he, he, to it, he I did that all on his own. He did <laughs> but I remember that very, and, and, he, and he won on the 15th hole and I shook his hand afterwards. I watched him play the whole time and it was, uh, it was really good. Your dad is a good player. Yeah. So let's, he's let's even, get it. Even a better man. Uh, uh, he's allowed. <laughs> so that's okay. I know you said you started caddying at Manasquan. When does the when does the transition from caddy to member happen, or is there a gap between? Oh, no, oh there's a big gap. Yeah. Oh, okay. There was. Um, uh, I went into the military service uh, when I was uh, eighteen, uh, the Navy, and when I got out of the Navy, I realized I didn't want to be a, in the golf business. I wanted to do something else. So um, uh, I I. Uh, looked around to different, I had different jobs in construction, which I have no ability whatsoever. And a couple <laughs> other things. And I said, I don't want to do this. And so I got into the insurance business. Um, and, and then I went to college in the evenings. And, and I realized I wanted to play golf, but I didn't want to play it. I wanted to play it for fun. I did not want to play it for a living. Um, and so I didn't join a private golf course until I was like 38 because I was raising a family and had to feed everybody. Um, <laughs> that tends to happen. Yeah. Then I joined Manasquan in 1980. 
That's okay. Now that's an interesting thing. Uh, Bob Scrabus, who I, I don't know if you know him or not, but he used to be the quarterback of the Titans years ago and Penn State. And he asked, he told me, he said, you belong to Woodlake now, but you know, that could change anytime. Why don't you join Manasquan? And I didn't think about it, but I said, okay, that sounds great. So uh, he, uh, he and Jerry Barnett um, signed me up there. Jerry Barnett wanted me to come along, although he knew he was going to have some competition, um, but that was the kind of guy Jerry was. He didn't care about winning. He wanted to have competition. And so he sponsored me. So I joined in 1980 and uh, been there ever since. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I just uh, I I teach history, so I like to put timelines together. So I was just just trying to. Well, there's some looking at your years. interesting timelines. I, when, as I was playing golf at, at Lakewood, I would place some of the um, public links tournaments and things like that. I won the, the state public links. I know, but I don't know when. But we had a golf pro there. And his name was uh, Jim Taylor, an old, very old pro. And he knew Fred Barnes and all of those old guys. And he kept, he, he, he helped me a, a bit. He kept telling me things I couldn't understand what he was talking about, but I tried him and whatever. But he, he, he taught me how to putt. And um, he kept telling me, you know, you're the best amateur in the state. I said, I'm not the best amateur in the state. No, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. You got to play in the tournament. Well, I didn't start playing those tournaments until in my very early 30s. I won the first eight amateur when I was 35 at Sunny Jim Golf Course. I think it's called Medford Lakes or Medford Village now. And I won the last one at Manasquan when I was 55. So wow. through that 20-year span, um, and then... Uh, if it wasn't for Jim Taylor encouraging me, I, I wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have started it. And then when in 73, when I won the, uh, the amateur, uh, that was the start of it. Then I started getting invited to different tournaments and things. And, and it sort of took off from that point on. Right. So it's interesting that like you're, you're, it, I don't, I don't know if this is quite the right phrase, but a little bit of a late bloomer there. Oh, yeah, in, very, in... very much so. Well, I was because I didn't have any money. And I had little kids and I wasn't going to, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be playing golf when I had to work. And, right. uh, you know, so then when my business got better in the mid 30s, then it was it was a different, different call. But I didn't play too many national events, very few because I couldn't, I, I always wanted to, I played a lot in, in, in the local areas, in Philadelphia, New York, metropolitan area, in New Jersey, because I'd be, I could be home at night. And uh, that was more important to me than I wasn't going to fly out to Tucson in the middle of July and play in the amateur. I played in the amateur, the national amateur, when they had it at Marion. I got to the top 16 then when I was 50. I remember that, but that was, that was close. Those were yeah. places where I could, uh, you know, and there was plenty of, let me tell you, there was plenty of competition here. All the guys here were as good as you're going to fit in any place in the country. When you look back at, at your, obviously the, the unbelievable amount of, you know, wins more or less or victories when it comes to the NGSGA events, like, like what are some things that stands out to you about, 
your your career in terms of those types of championships like is it the wins the victories the friendships the golf courses the people like you know obviously i listened to your youtube speech about when you got inducted to the ngsa hall of fame and, and i got the vibe that like the friendships that you made and the memories you had with those guys and competing against them you know carried the most weight over the win well yes the, the, by, by far um when i first started playing Outside of New Jersey, there was a gentleman by the name of um, uh, Sidorov, and there was a fellow by the name of Corval. Sidorov was a top guy. He had he had played in the British seniors or British amateur and done very well. But he was really, and he's a friend, but he's he's rough around the edges. He's uh, you know. Now the other guy was just the opposite. He was a, a very friendly, he, he, you know, he was a fine gentleman, and uh, Corville, Jerry Corville Sr. And I looked at these two guys, and I said, which one of these guys do I really look up to? And it was Corville Sr. And so I was very conscious of how uh, I portrayed myself in these tournaments, and I wanted to be a gentleman first, and... I didn't think you had to be a bad guy to win. Uh, I thought if you uh, conducted yourself right and people respected you, that was more important. So I got to meet an awful lot of great people. And um, Corville was the start of it. I, when I looked at it, I said, this is a top guy in the area. What kind of guy is he? And how does he, how does he take care of himself? And what does he do? And, you know, you'd meet great guys and not so great guys. So I, I always wanted to... Uh, be the, the good guy. I didn't want to be the the badass. That didn't appear to me at all to be a sensible thing to do. Do you think there was one win that stands out more so than, I mean, gosh, we could go on a whole laundry list of, of, of wins. Was there one that stood out more so than any other? Well, I would, I would say yes and no. Uh, they all were very important, but the first state amateur I won in 73, um, that was a, that sort of convinced me that I, I could play, um, which I didn't believe I could, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Jim Taylor said I could. So I played and I, in the last two rounds, this golf course we played, uh, they gave you, if you shot even par on the golf course, uh, and you were an amateur and you came and shot even par, they gave you a television. It was so hard and it was held down in Medford. Uh, you know, down Medford Village area. Uh, and one of the few times the amateur left North Jersey. And when I saw it was scheduled there, I said, you know, these North Jersey guys have no idea what they're going to walk into when they come and play this golf course. So uh, we, uh, and I had played it a couple of times. I knew how hard it was. So the first round, I think I shot something like a, 73 or four, something like that. And I was within one stroke of the leader around the lead. And then the uh, next round, I played poorly. I shot like 79. And I was really upset with myself. And then they rained it out the next day. So you came back afterwards. And I had a bit of time to cool off. Well, anyway, I shot 71, 71, the last two, and one by six. And the next guy in back of him 
was a good 10 shots back. So it was, Holy cow. you take a look at the scores of that 1973 amateur and you'll, you'll see scores that you can't believe. Uh, Chet Sanic, is it? he's shooting 85s. <laughs> you know, the golf course was unbelievable. But I, uh, that sort of convinced me that, you know, maybe I ought to pay some more of these things. So that got me started. But everything is very, everything, every tournament was very, very good. Enjoyed all the wins. Yeah. Maybe it enjoyed some of the losers, losses, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I have a story that you might like to hear. Uh, you know, I played, in, I played in six senior Opens. Um, yeah, I got that in my notes. And you were the low amateur in 1988 as well as 1995. Yeah. And then along in 1995, your Golf Digest third-ranked senior amateur in the in the country. Yeah, that's true. Um, did my research, Mr. Housing. Yeah, you did. Well, here's, a, here's an interesting thing. This you didn't know. Um, I have a lot of stories about this, but this one I think you would really appreciate. Your people would appreciate knowing this. Um, I was uh, going, I was playing at um, Pinehurst, Pinehurst number two. And um, I had signed up with guys from New Jersey that I knew to play a practice round and none of them showed up. <laughs> none of them showed up. So I go to the tee. Not, not, none, none of them. They were all pros and I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't practicing. So I go to the, and I tell the, the starter, I said, I'm not going to play by myself. I'm not going to do that. He says, that's, a, that's good. That's fine. So a couple minutes later, he says, I've got a group for you. It's a threesome. You can join. And so I go. And in that group was uh, Charles Cootie. You remember him? He won the, the uh, Masters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So they all hit off and I go and I go and I tee my ball up. I'm getting ready to hit the ball. And Cootie comes and tells me, he says, you know, we only wanted to play three this, this, <laughs> this time. And I looked at him and I said, well, that means you don't want to play golf with me. I said, to tell you the truth, I wasn't too charged up about playing with you either to tell you. So, <laughs> now, now I go to the putting green. I'm really hot now. And on the putting green is uh, a lot of good guys, Gordon Brewer and guys that I know. And they're saying, I thought you were in that. No. And I'm telling them what's going on. So now the poor starter, he feels terrible. And so he comes up to me on the putting green. He says, I got a game for you if you would, if you'd want it. And I said, who is it with? He says, Gary Player. I said, yeah, we want that. So <laughs> I go up there and I meet Gary and his caddy and another fellow's going to play with us. He's uh, from California. And uh, he tells me he's 65 years old. And I said, well, you know, 65 to me is, is young. It's 20 years less than I am now. So anyway, <laughs> we tee off and Gary says, we're going to play a scat game. So the guy says to me, how much are we playing for? And I tell him, does it really matter? I said, people pay $10,000 to play with this guy. We're playing with him for nothing. <laughs> and you know, whatever we're playing for, it doesn't really matter. So he and his caddy start telling stories. And one is funnier than the next. And I'm in the greatest time of my life. And we get up to like the fourth hole. And Gary Player takes off and he runs across the fairway to this guy in a wheelchair. And I followed him across there and he goes up to the guy and he grabs the guy's arms. And he said, if I had arms like this, I'd win every tournament I played in and so on and so forth. 
And as he leaves, I said, Gary, why'd you do that? He said, have you any idea what that man had to go through just to get here to watch this? He said, that's the least I could do. So right away, I became a fan, you know? And um, so in these tournaments, if you're a nobody like me, you only can hit one ball. But if you're Gary Player, you can hit as many balls as you want. <laughs> and he threw him in all these different bunkers, and he's getting them up and down and everything, and he's doing right. And then we get, we get to the 17, he hits an iron up on the green, and he said to me, um, he said, Bob, he said, I never could hit the ball straight. He said, if I didn't hook the ball, I couldn't play at all. He said, I never tried to hit the ball straight, hit everything you know, with a draw. So Gary says to me, he says, Bob, you just played 18 holes with me. Did you see anything I was doing wrong? I look at him and I go, Gary, you won every tournament in the world twice. I'm a financial planner in Manitoba, New Jersey. What the hell are you asking me that question? <laughs> uh, and I played with him a couple of times since. And, uh, you know, a really, really good man. Um, so I've had, you know, I had, I played with Nicholas at, uh, in some things. So I played with a lot of guys in some interesting uh, events. Nicholas, when I was playing with him at his golf course, he told me something I never would have imagined. He said when he was playing at the top of his game, his irons had shafts in them just a little stronger than lady shafts. Wow. Interesting. And he was he was a tough, strong dude too. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, why would that be? And then it dawns on me, he's playing golf courses where the ball has to come in high. So he, you know, he could hit a seven iron 150 yards or 200 yards, whatever he wanted. So he decided he wanted to hit seven irons at 150 yards and control the ball. Right. So he would hit it way up in the air. And when you played these courses like Balta Stroll and, you know, and, and some of the top courses, uh, yet the ball has to come in soft. If it comes in hard, it's, you can't get it near the hole. Right. So he told, and he used to put weight in the, in his, in the grips of the clubs, a counterweight, which, you know, when he told me these things, I'm saying, if I read it in golf digest, I wouldn't believe it. But uh, yeah, he, uh, he did. Hmm. Yeah. a little stronger than lady shafts and they were a little shorter they were maybe a three quarters of an inch shorter than the normal iron so mr Osen, i guess i kind of obviously also want to talk about you know golf and and being it such like an integral part of your family as well like i i know that you know not only is is chris a phenomenal player you know but patrick is as well and and your wife i i don't know if your daughter is into the game. I, I don't, but I do know that your other children and wife do play a lot. Like, can you, and, and obviously I understand your dad was a huge part in your life in the game. So like, when you think about like your family in the game of golf, like what does that meant to you guys? Well, it's, it's extremely important. Um, I got into the game because of my father, obviously, and my mother, my mother was club champion at Lakewood. And my father was club champion a number of times. He had the course record of 64 for a number of years. Now they changed the golf course, so it's different now. But he was a top guy. And he used to play those pro-ams that we'd have every 
summer with Lou Barbero and all the different pros in the area and him. And he had a, his, his average that year, the one year I remember was 71 point something. So he was a very fine golfer and uh, got me started in a game. And I played a lot of golf with him and I learned a lot, lot from him. Self-taught. Um, he, he was extraordinary. Uh, and my mother, she was a very, very good athlete. My mother was, um, uh, she used to do long range shooting with those rifles where they would shoot like 500 yards and things like that. Yeah. And, and she was, um, she was so good with this when she took it up, um, and hadn't been doing it that long, but she was so good that she was, uh, you know, almost ready for, uh, the Olympic trials. And then she became pregnant with me, and that was the end of that. So that was the end of her shooting. But, <laughs> but they had an article in the newspaper, and you have to understand my father to know this. My father is, they used to do a lot of hunting. We used to hunt in those days, rabbits and things like that. And a guy in the newspaper wrote an article. He said, I'm looking at these results from these, from these shooting competitions, and I think Ducky would be far better off sending Lillian out to get the rabbits than him. <laughs> he didn't care for that much <laughs> but uh, yeah they uh, uh they're they're wonderful people and then when margie and i got married she did not play golf but she's a good athlete and um we decided kind of early that she ought to take up the game because it would serve us well as we got older and and she's a good player and I play most of my golf now with her nine holes in the evenings and things like that. That's, uh, and she, and she's good now. She's getting to the point where she's almost out driving me, which is sort of a little, uh, <laughs> you know, a, little a little tough to handle, but outside of that, but yeah. And then Chris and Pat and then Paige is a lot of this, my daughter, but she's, she's raising these children and they're uh, 17. Now they, she has triplet boys. Wow. And, and I pack them together and we go out and we play on the weekends at the county courses and I'm teaching them to play, uh, play golf. And they've, they've had some lessons with Wayne and they like the game, but they're very busy with a lot of things going on. They're musicians primarily. Um, but the golf is very important, very important to us. Uh, and uh, all my friends are around golf, you know, so wonderful sport. You and your wife must be a dynamic uh, nine and dine duo there between the two. You must be. <laughs> I'm not dynamic anything anymore. <laughs> but my wife and I, we played, we won the state mix the first time we ever played. And she was not a player, uh, but that was alternate shots. So whenever she would get on the green, I would just tell her where to hit the ball and she would hit it. And she putted phenomenal. And we were, we were tied for low. And then they were going to set a playoff with another group. And there was no way we could possibly win the playoff. But the other group said, they don't want to play. We, 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 can, we, can, we can have that. That's pretty good. And, but... Uh, she is uh, competitive in her own right, but she likes to play golf for the for the fun of it. She never cared much for the the ladies grinded it out in the club championships. She doesn't care for that too much. So, but she's good. Oh, that's she's great. Good. 
Mr. Hazard, I, I want to ask you about uh, kind of going back to the your your competitive side and and some of your accolades. Is there is there one thing about you or about your golf game that you think made you as successful as you were, whether it's a facet of your game or something to do with your personality, you know, not letting the highs be too high, the lows be too low. Is, is there is there one thing that you could pinpoint that? Well, I practiced a lot from 100 yards in and um, I really didn't have a lot of time uh, to be beating balls and to work on your drivers and your three irons and stuff. So I figured that if I was very good from a hundred yards in, uh, then I had a chance to win no matter how I hit the ball, whether I hit it good, bad, or indifferent. And so I spent a lot of time on that. And I spent a lot of time putting, uh, five and six foot putts. Uh, those are, you know, I'd stand there and I put 50 or 60 of them in a row and in, I wouldn't stop until I made 50 or 60. And uh, that's, uh, that, that was, I think, what I was known for. And I felt that was the best use of my time. And I see people today that you, you go to a golf course, you see the driving range full. They're hitting drivers and three woods and everything else. And you see two guys on the putting green. The two guys in the putting green are usually winning most of the tournaments. And these guys haven't figured this out yet. So um, that's what I always uh, uh, worked on. I worked on that part of the game and I felt that was important. Now I have, I came down in my late seventies with, with a rare nerve disease. And so my balance is very bad. I can't find, one of the things you have to do in putting, you have to be still. And so I can't, it's hard for me to be still anymore. So I'm a really spastic putter today. So I worked very hard on being absolutely dead still and just letting the stroke go, but I had, would not move at all. And that way you'd hit the ball in the center to putter every single time. And you had a pretty good chance of making your putts. So I worked very hard on that. Wasn't much fun. It was more fun hitting drivers. <laughs> you, you learn how to play better hitting putts. What what a concept! Hit the ball in the middle of the putter and it'll go in. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I now I just like to hit it on the putter someplace. <laughs> but it's, uh... well, you say that, but I still know that you know you're 84 years old today, and you're still shooting your age, if not lower. Um, so you know, I, yeah, I don't I do. think you're mishitting those putts too badly. Well, I probably bank my age 50 percent of the time that I play, um, and. Uh, I don't really care about that. Um, I'll hit one or two good shots. I top some balls. I do some strange things. But with this nerve disease that I have, it takes the strength out of your muscles and it takes your balance away. So those things are, are pretty difficult. But for two years, I couldn't play golf at all. So when I got to be able to play golf again, I said, I don't care what I shoot. I just, just let me swing the club and let's see what happens. So my attitude is good. I imagine that it's for you now in this stage of your life with your with your golf game. I imagine it's more about, as you were saying, being being out there with your kids, with your grandkids, with your wife, you know, enjoying the times out there, obviously not competing anymore. But as you said, you're not worried about your score and, and having this. If you didn't play for two years, it's almost like you got a, a second lease on your golf game here and just yeah, kind of I enjoying did. it. I had, I, not only did I have the, the nerve disease, I had a back issue. 
So when we're down here in Florida, I'm sitting on my porch watching the guys go by. And uh, I said, boy, if I could just play golf again, I said, I, I don't care, you know, what, what the number is just, you know, I just want to be able to, uh, and every once in a while I hit a shot and go, wow, that was really good. And I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> so I think I think golf teaches you a lot of, about life. It teaches you how to handle the ups and downs. It teaches you the, the, the there's more morality in golf than any sport I know. I mean, everybody else is trying to cheat. In this game, you cheat, you're ostracized. Mm -hmm. uh, it's you know, it's a wonderful game. And and obviously, I. Listen, Mr. Osmond, I think Ryan and I could talk to you for hours upon hours. So before, you know, we always have like a couple wrap up questions here at the sure. end. But, be but before we do, like, I, I do want to kind of touch on the FCA a little bit in terms of, you know, what that has meant to you. Oh, that's tremendous. Because oh. I, I can speak on experience alone, like, you know, being fortunate to go all four years when I was in high school, um, you know, courtesy of yourself, Mr. Flaherty, like I that was an unbelievable time. And, and I know, again, when I listened to your speech at the NJSA Hall of Fame, like you brought up like your faith being an important part of, you know, keeping everything grounded. You know, why don't you speak a little bit about the FCA and, and, and what they've done? Well, thanks for asking. Um, when I was in my 40s, maybe mid 40s, uh, one day I said, you know, I do have the ability to get in front of some people because of some golf success and what can I do uh, as far as a charity is concerned, what can I do that uh, would be meaningful to people's lives? And I thought, you know, there's all kinds of wonderful charities uh, one after the other and there's hospitals and everything else. I said, but I was more interested on something where we would get one-on-one -on -one, uh, and maybe impact people directly and since I'm uh, a Christian, uh, I I had heard about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, so I contacted them, and they said they had a golf program, and you know they told me a little bit about it, and I said, well, I, maybe I can get something like that started here, because that way I have one on one, I'm right in front of you, I can talk to you, I can, you know, I get to know you, and and uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Um, one gentleman. His name is, uh, is Justin Moran. Now, Justin came from the middle of Nork. Uh, and we invited a couple Nork when they found the tournaments coming, they invited a couple uh, Nork teams down because I wanted these guys to have an ability to see what golf was all about, too. And I met Justin there. And Justin and I became friends. And I've sort of mentored him through uh, his uh, early college days. And then he, he got into Cornell. And then from Cornell, uh, he went to work for MasterCard. And then, he, and then he got into Harvard Business School. And he's graduated from Harvard Business School. And he and I have been kept in contact pretty much monthly through all of these years. And it's been wonderful for me because I could see how this young man has grown. Uh, and... I, I run into people all the time that say, well, Mr. Hassan, we were at that event. It was so great. And I got in, uh, I, I found out about the FCA and that changed my whole life. So, you know, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to have an impact, a direct impact. Um, 
And, and I felt that was the perfect organization. We did it for 40 years. And the only thing that shut it down was COVID because you couldn't, you couldn't get the bus, the kids to, to come out to the course. You couldn't get a gathering or anything like that. So maybe down the road, we can do some again. But I thought it was, uh, I thought it went over well. And we, we sent a lot of, of uh, youngsters through the program. And, and it's a great group that FCA is a very good group. Yeah. And I listen, I can speak on behalf of, of one of those kids that has gone through, um, you know, the, the experience itself um, was first class from everything to getting there um, to experiencing it. You know, it was, it was an unbelievable thing. So I, I can also reiterate the things that you're mentioning as well. So Mr. Housen, I kind of, we kind of have two questions when we wrap this bad boy up and, and I got the first one and, you know, like obviously our goal as golfers here in the garden state is to kind of travel the state, play, talk, and experience all the unique qualities that there is here alone. If, if you could recommend to somebody that's listening, like maybe a public golf course that you always thought very highly of, and then maybe even a private golf course that if someone were to be invited onto that, they would need to drop what they're doing and, and go and play. So like maybe a public and a private that you, that's always stood out to you in your career. Okay. Well, the public golf courses, first of all, in our area, we know we have the, used to be the Mercer County courses over there. Um, and, you know, that, that was as fine golf course. And they had, um, I think they had the women's open there, didn't they? Or the, um, what's the name of it now? It's over there in Colts Neck. Um, Hominy Hill? Yeah, Hominy Hill. Uh, that for a public golf course was really good. Now, if you ever have a chance to play Pine Valley, which I belonged to for about 10 or 12 years, if you ever have a chance to play Pine Valley, you got to go there. I mean, yeah. you got, you got, you have to skip your anniversary to go there. I mean, it's it's funny it. you bring that up because that, that, when we ask people that question, mm -hmm. it's, I always have to preface it sometimes by saying, exclude Pine Valley because the opportunities that people actually get invited on there are few and far between, but the actual guests that we've had on who've been invited, it's like the first thing that pops up. It's the mm -hmm. first thing. Yeah, it is really, it's a, it's a, it's an unbelievable place. Uh, there's so many good golf courses now. Um, you know, you could, you can go pretty near anyways. If, if I were playing the golf today, if I was starting golf today, I would not go, I would not try to play hard golf courses. I would go to places like Lakewood and whatever, um, courses like that, that, that were fairly open with small greens that would require you to hit different shots in there. And that's how you would learn how to play golf. Some of these courses are just too hard. And, uh, you know, I don't know why they design them like that, but they have to be a, a little friendlier. Um, Shark River, places like that. That's where you want to learn how to play golf, quite honestly, my opinion. So, Mr. Housen, the, the other question that we like to ask when we end is, um, you know, golfers can kind of be a little superstitious, quirky by by nature. Was there anything when you were competing that you needed to have, whether it was like a certain amount of tees in this pocket or this, that? Like, what, what was something that that you would say is something that you were a little, little superstitious about, maybe? Or, well, or... I'm not. But my father was a little superstitious. I'll tell you a little story about him. 
we were playing Lakewood and he had a putt about five feet long and I marked his ball because he, I was closer to it. I marked it and he comes up and he looks at it and he says to me, you marked it with a nickel. I said, yeah, I did. He says, that's bad luck. I said, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that nickel was a bad luck. So I said, I apologize. So I picked it up and obviously he missed the putt. He says, you never mark it with a nickel. I said, okay. So when my father passed away, we were always very, very close. And, and, and I, I know that the loved ones, they go to another area and they can communicate with you at times if you're, if you're open to it. So we're, my pants are upstairs and my wife is shaking something out and the coin falls out and it falls down the stairs. And I said, I know it's a nickel. I just know it's a nickel. I said, Ducky's telling me something. I know it's a nickel. And obviously it was. But the only superstition that I have there is, is, is that. Um, no, I don't. I have no superstitions at all. Um, See, I like that because you yeah. know how many times I've heard the the two T's in my pocket, so on and so forth. So I, I, I'm a big just let's get out and tee it up. You know, but Mr. Housen, listen, I, I think Ryan and I could sit here and just listen to story upon story all day long from you. Um, but I appreciate you giving us, you know, well over an hour of your time to to kind of talk shop here. And, and I know our audience is going to love to hear this. So, um, again, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. I really well, do. Thank you for it. inviting me. I certainly appreciate it. I'm sitting down here in Florida. It's kind of cold. I had a frost freeze this morning down here. In, in, wow. In, uh, <laughs> you know, the Cuesta. I mean, <laughs> they don't know how to handle that, but no. it's nice now. But I thank you guys very much and wish you all the success in this. And if I can help you in any way possible, uh, certainly give me a call, but I'll talk to Christopher and, and tell him to uh, contact you guys. I know your old man will say, what, what do you mean? Can I come? No, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, tread lightly with that yeah. because he might say, do you need a fourth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be tremendous. I'm going to echo Mike there, uh, Mr. House. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure when our paths cross. So thank you so much. Okay. Well, good. Nice seeing you again. Thank you very much, Mr. Please House. Well. I appreciate it. Guys. Right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Right.